Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Gimel in Maseches Yevamos. But as we always know, Bein Adam Lechaver before Bein Adam Lemakom. Uh, remember, I used the term Bin Bin yesterday. Uh, bin Bin figured out who he was. His identity was was hidden, but not well enough. And I and I got a report. He said, "I got kids, man." You can't have them dying 20 times a day in the shear, which is a good point. So, Bin Bin, I apologize for helping us understand uh, Dav Beis and Yavamus. May you and your children be uh, a long life of Torah and health and happiness. Amen. Okay, now, so we'll be back to Reuben Shimon and Levi, but don't worry, Andrew. Uh, it's not the, it's, I realize that I got carried away. Geronowitz is here, he said, why are you using puppets? You could have charts, they have charts. So the fact of the matter is, don't worry, Barry, we knew you were coming, thank you so much, good morning. Um, the reason I, I'm going to show you exactly today in the Hemshech of our Mishnah, we're seven lines down on Bezim and Bez, still finishing the Mishnah, why I used puppets, the advantage of puppets. But here's what I realized. Everybody thinks, even after they've learned Yavamos, all that they can remember is just this confusion, this kaleidoscope of charts. And like, they just fell into this web. I was saying it felt like getting a cramp yesterday and the first half mile of a marathon. Like we're never gonna make it. But the fact of the matter is, Andrew, it doesn't have to be about the charts. I could have taught or said over the entire Mishnah without showing you a single chart. I could have just said, hey, don't marry your daughter. Don't marry your sister, so to speak. Meaning, if your sister or your daughter or your daughter-in-law falls to you in Yibum, then obviously you can't do Yibum. The charts are only used to teach you how such a scenario could be possible. And yes, we have a lot of Masechus Yivamas to go. We'll be here for six months, and we will have to go through some of the cases just to understand Pashup Shat and the Gemara. But I would not have had to show you a single chart to explain to you the Mishnah, the only reason I showed the chart was to explain how those cases can happen. It was like when I used to put on braces and it would be a brackets and wires, if I did it together, and the first day, the kid's like, oh, these braces hurt. Well, the braces don't hurt you at all. And I used to separate it. I actually used to, there would be times where I just put on the brackets first, and it doesn't hurt at all, because what hurts is the thin little wire that's pushing your teeth. Oh. So what was hurting you wasn't your vomus. Don't get, don't get carried away. The, the halachas of Yavamos, of not marrying your daughter-in-law and all the other 15 women, is not what's complicated. What's complicated is how did she, how did she become, right? How did she fall to you, to Yibum? That's the wire. So we can, when necessary, keep it simple. And I've said too much, that's the background. We are seven lines down in the Mishnah. I'll show you why the, these puppets are good, though. Watch this. The Mishnah in the Hemshech, right? What did we do yesterday? We went through all of the 15 women. Today in the Gemara we'll discuss why we mentioned these 15 women. And just to review, there is a mitzvah midah raisa of Yibum. That means that when, you're, when someone's brother, right, passes um, away childless, his brother, right, the surviving brother, takes one of his wives uh, as a wife, through a process called Yibum, which we will discuss at great length, but none of that can happen if one of the wives of the deceased brother is an erva, right, to the living brother, right? So if that happens, then he cannot take any of the wives. Now, the Mishnah, fascinatingly, actually spells it out 
in the Hemshech. So first we, we had all the 15 cases. Then we said the, the, all the 15 cases where you cannot have uh, Yibum. Then we went through the cases towards the very end of yesterday uh, where you can, in fact, have, have Yibum. So I'll just um, go through that very, very quickly, right? And so we say, that just means uh, the following, that if that woman who would have been an erva gets canceled out before the brother dies, right? We have a brother who's deceased who we have to perpetuate his name. But if at the time of his death, right, there is no woman that's an erva. I once there had been. He was once married, right, to one of the arayas. Or... If the, uh, or if the woman who's an erva, it was understood already at that point that she couldn't bear children anyways, right? So then the tsaros, so then the other co-wives are in fact eligible for yibum. That's where we left off. And now the Mishnah, right? Um, and then the, and then the, and then the last statement right before that, it says, Those are cases that are actually physically impossible. Uh, um, those are impossible scenarios. So it goes without saying that um, it's, it's like an overemphasis. In other words, the first cases in that Mishnah are cases where it actually could happen that, a, that the deceased right, brother could have been right, married to one of those women. But anyways, they weren't going to do, uh, they weren't going to bear him children. Um, before he died. So in those cases, their tsaros could be used for Yibam. And then it just says, well, yeah, if you look at some of the other cases in the first half of the Mishnah, some of those are impossible. But so it goes without saying. And why we have to right, drive home that point is a separate question. But the point is that the fundamental point is that if a woman falls to the surviving brother and she, and she never the woman that would have been an erva was never in play to begin with, so then the tsaros can be actually, uh, you can bring in the tsara and perform the yibum with them. So now we're just going to do one last uh, dead cat bounce with the puppets for today, uh, just like the last uh, hit of winter right hit us today. We're going to do the, the puppets, and then we'll get into the Gemara that really has nothing to do with the charts or puppets as follows. So, seven lines down. Ketzad Posot Sarosain. So, we already talked about this yesterday. Let's just spell it out. What is the scenario, right, where the woman who is an erva is Poteras, her uh, co wives? So, Haisa Bito, O Achas Mikolha Araya Sa'elu Nesuas Le'achiv, right? If, right, a man's daughter or any of the Arayas were married to his brother, so. We'll go back to Shimon Levi. So in this case, we have Ruvain and Shimon. Shimon is the one, um, right? So we have Ruvain has wives, but he doesn't have children. Shimon has a whole big family portrait over here. So when it says Hai Sabito, it's talking about the second brother, let's say, right? It's talking about Shimon, the one with the kids. So if the one with the kids, one of his children happened to have married his brother, right? And the Suos so let's say it was his, his daughter or any one of the Arias, but let's say his daughter, that's the easiest case. Velo Isharheret, which means that, again, Shimon's daughter married Ruvain, and Ruvain has another wife as well, right? Keshem Shebito Ptura, Kachtsarasa Ptura. So now we understand the case very easily. So Ruvain dies, you see that? And you can see that with the puppet really easily instead of having to cancel out a chart. Ruvain dies, and then just like this, uh, woman, we'll keep Shira. Just like Shira, who is, right, Shimon's daughter, is Pater to Shimon, 
And we will understand the Gemara. Why are you using the word Pater, Andrew? It's, she's usher to Shimon. She's his daughter. Relax. We're going to talk about it. But just when it says Pater, it means Pater from Yibum, right? Pater from Yibum in the sense that she's his daughter and usher to him. But the point is, just like she is usher to Shimon, so too the co-wife is usher to Shimon. That's what the Gemara is saying, right? Even though the co-wife has no relationship to Shimon. Because of the fact that she was a co-wife with his daughter, she is usher to Shimon. That's that case of the Mishnah. Now, so guess what? Ruvain died. Tragedy strikes. Ruvain dies. So, so, Levi decides he's going to marry. Look at what you can't do with a chart, Goranowitz. You can't take this with a chart. How do you like me now? I'm taking this co-wife and I'm putting her now with Levi. Aha! Uh-huh. Well, why wouldn't he marry her? She was nice, right? She married his brother. Wait a minute. She was an Ashes Ach. Well, yeah, she didn't just marry his brother. He took her for Yibum. So that's the only way that that Tsara Tsara would work. Did you pick up on that yesterday? You can't marry an Ashes Ach. <laughs> he took her for Yibum, meaning Ruvain died, right? The truth of the matter is, when Ruvain died, Levi could have taken either Shira, his niece, or Sprinza, his, his brother's other wife, right? Ruben's other wife uh, for Yibun. But he chose Sprinza. Why not? He likes the way Sprinza makes Kugel. So he chose Sprinza. So now Levi took Sprinza in Yibun. Oh. And then Levi dies. Now when Levi dies, this is the case of the Tsarist Tsara. When Levi dies... Just like Shimon couldn't take Sprinza for Yibum the first time because she had been a co-wife of Shira, his daughter, he still can't take Sprinza as a for Yibum because she had once been a co-wife with his daughter Shira. When she was, not when she's married to Levi, when she was previously married to Ruvain. That is the case of Tsarasar, reading inside the Mishnah. Tsaras Bisa Bito. So so that's Sprinza, right? Tsaras Bito Sprinza. She married his second brother, right? Which means it had to have been Yibum. She, she went to Yibum with Levi. Well, the case of Tsarasara is not even Shprinza. But even if, right, there was another woman, right, we'll put her here. Even if Shprinza, right, had Hindle as a co-wife. So you had, and, and by the way, Levi could have already been married to Hindle beforehand, or he could have married Hindel afterwards, but the point is, at the point that Levi dies, not only is Sprinza, who was previously a Tsara, with Shira, not only is Sprinza usher to go to Yibum to Shimon, but when Levi dies, even Hinda, who never had Shaykhis, <laughs> had nothing to do with Ruvain, did ne- never even met Shira in her life, never met Shimon's daughter in her life, she is the Tsara's Tsara. It's it's Hinda, who's the Tsarist Tsara. Shimon can't even take her in for Yibum to, to uh, right, perpetuate the name of either Levi or Ruben in that case. Because of the fact that Hinda was a co-wife with Sprinza, and Sprinza once had been a co-wife with his daughter Shira, or any one of the other Arias, then Shimon cannot take her in for Yibum. Right? So again... The Isha Cheres here is Hinda, Umes, and then Levi dies. 
just like his daughter's co-wife is exempt, meaning just like Sprinza is forever exempt, even after he dies, just like Sprinza is forever exempt, right? So too, morning. The Tsaras Tsara is Pater, so too Hinda is Pater forever. Uh, forever and ever. Right? This could go on infinitum. Okay. Now, now the Mishra is going to ask, um, right, the last part. So I can actually put this chart down now that we have the photo up. And that was the uh, Tsara and Tsara Tsara explained better with puppets than you can anywhere. So thank you, Andrew, for the suggestion. But now, right? how is it that what? That if they predecease the husband, right? Where the whole idea of Yibam is somebody dies and then you perpetuate his name. And if there's a and if there's an erva, so then you can't do it. But if the erva predeceases the dead brother, so then you can do it, right? Because the erva only apostles you from Yibum if she was alive when the brother died. And now the Mishnah is going to spell it out. Right? So you have Shimon. His daughter married Ruvain, right? Let's say it's his daughter. Marries Ruvain. Velo Isha Acheres, right? And happens to be that Ruvain, right? And this is always like whenever your kids tell you a story, and said, and he said, and then he said, and you don't know who you're referring to. And the mission is talking like that. Who's low? So I'll spell it out for you again. So we have Shimon has a daughter. She marries his older brother, Ruvain. Okay. And then, Velo Isha Acheres. This means that Ruvain, the one that's going to die soon, is, has a second wife. One of them being Shimon's daughter, the other one being just, you know, Sprinza from down the block. So Mesa, Bito, Onis, Garsha. So if Shimon's daughter, the one he was married to, Shira, if she dies, or maybe they even got divorced, the point is she's no longer married. And by the way, as the Mishnah says, it could be all, Miun or Islandist would also count in this case. Any which way that Shira, which is again Shimon's daughter, no longer becomes in play, so to speak, for having kids, with Ruvain, the Achiv. So if then, when Ruvain dies, right? If Ruvain dies after already Shira, who's Shimon's daughter, is no longer considered viable to have children with, so then Saras and Muteris. So yeah, so then what? The remaining Sprinter from down the block is going to be eligible for Yibum to Shimon. Shimon could take her in for Yibum. Because after all, even though she was, in fact, once at one point a co wife. Right, so that's a little bit of an irony. In other words, if, and let's just spell it out, if Sprinza was ever a co-wife with Shimon's daughter Shira, right? If, if they were ever co-wives at a time where Shimon's daughter could have bore him a child, so then Sprinza herself, even though she has no relation to Shimon, will never be able to, not, will never be able to, do Yibum, even if she goes and marries somebody else first, right, his other brother, and even her sorrows will never be able. So she's really like, she carries that forever, and it always, and it always seems to infect all the other co-wives that she'll ever have. But if, the, if Shimon's wife, uh, it, rather, if Shimon's daughter never had the ability to bear children to Ruvain in the first place, then despite the fact that Shira and Sprinza were co-wives once, at the time, Shira was not able to bear children to Ruvain. So if that happens before Ruvain dies, then Sprinza is free to be. She has no shaykhus to Shira whatsoever, right? So the shaykhus is created, 
When I say shaykhis, I'll use Rashi's word, which is zika. The zika, the connection is created by the fact that Shira, who is Shimon's daughter, can have a child with Ruvain. That creates a zika, that creates an obligation to perpetuate Ruvain's name forever, right? But if Shira never had such abilities to perpetuate Ruvain's name, so then there's no zika to perpetuate. There's nothing there to begin with. Uh, or even if she once did have that Zika, but if she broke it in some other way, by divorcing him, let's say, before he died, so then at the time of his death, that's the point, at the time of Ruvain's death, she wasn't around, this Erva wasn't around to perpetuate his name. And so if the Erva was not around to perpetuate his name at the time of death, so then there is no name, no obligation for any of the brothers to continue and perpetuate that name. That obligation to continue and perpetuate that name only exists if, at the time of death, Reuven himself could have done so. If Reuven himself could have had a child with this woman at the time that he died, the brothers are going to step in and we're going to say, we're going to do that for you, Reuven. But if Reuven already divorced her, so then of course we're not going to mar- bring her back, right, and marry her. Okay. So again, that's the important point of the Mishnah. What happens to Shprinza is that she goes as Shira goes. In other words, right? In other words... Exactly. 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 You know, Shim. So that Zika or lack of Zika spreads off on her. Or the lack of Zika. Exactly. In other words, as Andrew's pointing out, Ruvain thought marrying his niece was a good idea. You know, in, in age of, of Shad Khanim, you never know what they're going to have up their sleeve and what they're hiding. But here, family, he thought it was a good idea. Sure enough, Shira, his niece. Eh, they didn't get along so great. So they, get, they end up getting divorced. Shprinza he loved. That was his high school sweetheart. They were doing great, okay? It's not yeshivish, but it, but it, but it worked, you know? And so Shprinza he loved. And yet, the fact that, as Andrew points out, uh, the fact that Shprinza and Shira were once co-wives doesn't, it, it actually affects Shprinza whether the fact that Shira was viable or not at the time of Ruvain's death, in other words, if Shprinza and Ruvain had already gone divorced, gotten divorced, right, uh, by the time Ruvain died, so then, in fact, Shprinza, his high school sweetheart, is eligible for Yibum, for sure. Whereas if uh, Shira was alive at the time that Ruvain died, and they were, she was alive, and they were still married, and he could have had a child with her, then Shira and Shprinza are both going to be ineligible forever. So yes, Shira's eligibility for Yibum affects Shprinza forever. Right? Okay. At the time of Ruvain's death is the point. Okay. And then finally, what is this concept of Yibum? The last lines of the Mishnah. What's going on here? What is Mium? So, Rashi spells it out. Okay, so in this case, we're going to talk about Shira, right? The, the daughter of Shimon, right? The one we've been talking about all along. She's a katana. What is Mium? Mium is like this. You have a desperate uh, father, of, the father of Shira. So, it's actually... Um, uh, the only way you could have that case if his father dies. So in that case, it's not going to be Beto, right? Because obviously the only way it works if she was an orphan. I'm not going to get into charts over this. But the point is, Miun in a vacuum is when a father dies and a girl is left orphaned, right? She may have a mother or a brother, but guess what? She's going to need support. She's going to need protection. She's going to be taken advantage of. 
So the Chazal said, you know what? We're not going to let this woman get, take, get taken advantage of. She can be married off as a katana, right, by her mother or brother. And then, however, she has a right of refusal if she's not enjoying the experience. We're going to give her the right of what's called miyun. Miyun is the refusal of this, right, marriage that she was sold into, so to speak. She wasn't really sold into, but she was put into for her protection. Miyun is different than Gerishin, and we'll get into this in great detail, but Miyun is where you refuse the marriage, and then the marriage becomes annulled retroactive to the date that you walk through the door with your husband. So it's a, it's a crazy thing, because as Rashi points out, right, this is lo Miyuna. You only have the rights of the Miyun, right? So in this case, she's a, so long as you're a Katana. So she, by definition, she's still a Katana. And then Mes Achiv. So again, she gets so to speak, married off to this guy, and the guy dies. Be, why is she still a katana? So what's going on? So says Rashi, right? She really isn't married to him, she's married to him, and therefore, you know, is she like, is she like Shira um, at the time where, that, where she could have had a child for him at the, child, at the time of death? Or is she like Shira that was already divorced uh, uh, to him at the time of death, right? Our mission just said, if Shira was still married to Reuben at the time of death, there's a full-fledged Yibam obligation. If Shira was divorced from him, let's say, at the time of death, there's no Yibam obligation at all. And any of the co-wives could, could perform Yibam. Well, this is a hybrid case, right? She's kind of with him at the time of death, but she's not fully married to him. So therefore, as Rashi pl- uh, puts it, so succinctly and plainly as Rashi does, V'zikas nefilasa midirabanan. The connection that she has to Reuven at the time of death is not like totally severed, like as if she got divorced from him, but it's not totally strong as if she's fully Midoraisa married to him. So therefore, what are you going to do? Well, Eina Poteris Sarasa Mina Chalitza, right? Mina Torah, right? She's not fully married. And therefore, right, Shprinza perhaps should in fact have to do Yibum with Shimon, right? Ulhis Yabe Masura. But on the other hand, are you going to be able to what? Uh, is Shprinza really, can she really perform Yibum with Shimon? After all, it looks bad. As, as Rashi says, can farsh time of Gemarsh, nearest Tsaras Erva, right? Again, Ruvain has this little girl that he took in as a sort of like um, temporary wife, not, as, a, as an interim wife, right? He took her in as a wife on probation, so to speak. So now she's in a funny hybrid state. She's not really his wife, so therefore the Tsaras should be able to perform Yibum. Right? Suppose this temp wife is an erva. So she's not really his wife yet, so to speak. She's a wife to Rabbanon. So because she's not really a wife, Sprinza should be able to do Yibum. But because she looks like, she looks like his wife, she's living in the house, what is she if she's not his wife? She is his wife to Rabbanon. So because of that, Sprinza really shouldn't perform Yibum. Because after all, it's going to be a bad look. It's going to look like a tsarist erva is performing Yibum. That's literally what Rashi says. Therefore, Tsarasa Cholatzis Velomis Yabemeth. Forget about, forget about the, the little girl. Because she's a little girl. She's not doing Yibum. She's not getting involved in this, right? That's not going to happen. But the Tsara, what about Sprinza? Sprinza's got this hybrid Tsara, this co wife. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, this co wife. Because if, again, because if you don't do Yibum, you've violated the obligation of Yibum Deraraisa. And if you do do Yibum, it looks like you're doing a Yibum on a Tsaras Erva. So we said, Midarabanan, we're going to say, do Chalitza. It's the way out. Do Chalitza on the Tsara, for that reason. A fascinating case, 
right? And therefore, with that, we will start with the Gemara. You ready, Barry? Here we go. Gemara says, Mechdi, Kula Ma'achas Isha Yalfinun. Where do we learn this whole idea of that you're not allowed to do Yibum, right? Um, well, it says in Vayikra, Perikid Ches, it says, Ve'isha lachos alotikach, right? Ve'isha lachos alotikach means when you're married to a woman, you should never marry her sister, okay? So that is where you learn all of this concept of erva. That, it's a drusha. So then the Gemara says, and what the Gemara is going to try to address is, why are we learning these 15 women in the order that we do? Okay? Uh, if you, just in case you don't remember, we started with the Ba'at, right? With, right? with his daughter. So why aren't we starting, right, with Achos Isha? Right? Since all of it is actually learned from the Pasuk of Achos Isha, so litany Achos Isha Beresha. Got to look at Vayikor Yudches Yudches, right? Perak Yudches, Pasuk Yudches. Ve'isha el Achosa lo tikach litzror. Should not marry your wife's sister. Lo tikach litzror, Andrew. What does litzror sound like? Sounds like tzara. Oh, by the way, Gorano, so I asked you a question to Rabbi Gross, who knows everything. I said, what's the root of the word yibum? What does it mean? And he said, oh, maybe it's like building a bama, like building, and you build a bama. It's kind of what I said. This is what always happens when you ask the question. It's, I, I figure it's either the most fundamental or the most esoteric. Turns out it's always the most esoteric. I feel like an idiot for not knowing the answer. And I asked Rabbi Gross, and he usually says, yeah, the Rambam struggled with that for 10 years. So what are you bummer for? So I don't know. We're going to look into it. He's going to look into it. He'll get back to us, okay? Okay. Now, so, so start listening. What is the Gemara suggesting? Why are we starting with Bito? Start with the what? The Pasuk starts with... Right? Achos Isha. So why shouldn't that be the first case? It says the Gemara. Maybe we're talking about what? Gradations of Chumrah. Uh, After all, by the way, when you marry these ervas, you don't get the same punishment for all of them. Some of them you'll get Srefa, some you'll get Skila, and some are in Isra Kares. Well, those are different gradations of punishment. Okay, so maybe you'll say, Maybe the author or the Mishnah is reflective of the authorship of Rabbi Shimon. And the reason why we start with Bito is because that's an Isra right? And therefore, we're starting with the most Chamor. Well, if you're going to say that, then Yachi listen Chamosa So maybe the case of the mother-in-law should come first. Why? Because how do we know that, how do we in fact know that you get burnt to a crisp for having an, uh, for, for being with your daughter. Well, the Pasuk doesn't say daughter. The Pasuk says mother-in-law. As Rashi points out, look at this. Here's the Pasuk. Straight up Pasuk, Barry, in the, in the 20th parak of Vayikra. It says you're going to be burnt to a crisp. So, and what's the case? The case is mother-in-law. That's the case in the Torah. So maybe that should have been the first case if Strefa is the theme of the day. The ode, and not only that, but And then after listening, right, it said, we say, after listening the mother-in-law, right, so then let's talk about the daughter-in-law. In other words, the order should be first Shreifa, and then Skila, and then Kares, but guess what? Kalaso, you might recall, isn't, doesn't come after Chamaso, but rather it's the last case. So if Kalaso, which is Right, skila. If kalasa, which is skila, is going to be right, the uh, and this is where Rashi spells out. If kalasa is skila, is it's going to be an order of gradation of severity of punishment. So kalasa should be last. Should be right after right his mother in law. And yet, 
we see that she's last after the Yisurei Kares. So forget it. It's not because of severity of punishment. Barry, why are we going through this? Why do we care about the order? So I'll tell you. When they put together the Mishnayis, they very much cared about the order because that helped them remember. This is not like a value, like the Torah said, that it has to be in a certain order, or Allah Moshe Misinai, how you supposed to learn Mishnah. This is Torah Shabbat Pan, man. You have to figure out. And in, in Bavli, we're always concerned. Simon Wolf, I don't know how much Torah he must know to say this. He says, you Shalmi, you don't really see these kinds of concerns. But in Talmud Bavli, where they had to go over it a million times, I don't know, in order to remember, because you're in Gullus for whatever reason, they were always concerned. What was the memory pattern? Like, what was the mnemonic device that they used to learn the Mishnah? That's what we're doing now. We're trying to figure out. It's kind of fun. Let's figure out what was the pattern that made them say these women in this way. That the Bavli considers fun. So that is what we always try to do in every one of these cases. Why did it say 15? When there's, right, why, why did, what did it mean? Why did it say in this order? Okay, so we've established that the pattern wasn't severity of punishment. Is that okay with you, Andrew? Like yeah, exactly. Sticks in your brain. You can't get it out of your head. That's what you want to do. So, Oh, and that's the last lines of Bezim. Bez, as we turn to, right, Gimelam and Allah, finally. So, Bezo, at the daunting time of 6.05 a.m. Oh, okay, here, let's turn it on. So, Bito, no more charts, so that's good. Here we go, for today. What's Kavan de Midrashah? We've seen this before. We, we, amazingly, we only know that your daughter's is to you as an Arab from a drasha. And that is, we've seen this before. Chazal like, it's like the one thing that stands out the most is the drasha. They love the drasha, so that they use as the trigger of the mnemonic device. And that's why Bito comes first. That's what the Gemara is saying. So says the Gemara, what do you mean? Kulon, as we, first words in Gimel Amadalf. Kulon Ami Midrashah Asu. Right? As Rashi points out, the first Rashi in Gimel Amadalf. Le'inyin p'tur yibo Midrashah Asu in Yeah. We learn them all as a drasha from Achosisha. That's the only one. When it comes to Yibum, which is the topic of our Mishnah, they were all, right, an extension of this Achosisha Isser. So it says the Gemara, Yeah, okay, with regards to, to Yibum, it's true that when it comes to Yibum, that's why Rashi said that with respect to Yibum, they were all learned as a, as a drasha. However, Yeah, but the fact that they're ervas, right? In other words, once you know that you can't do Yibum on an erva, so then the question is, who are the arayas? And so the Iker Isser of being an erva is in fact explicit in the Torah. We, we have a Parshas arayas in the Torah. Oh, so let me say, no, it's like this. Bito, Iker Isser, Medrasha. So with regards to his daughter, She's not even listed as what? As one of the Arias. That's the amazing thing. That it's not just with regards to Yibum, but, but if you look at the Torah carefully, there won't be any mention in the Torah that you can't have Arias with your daughter. Crazy. Look. That's all the Gemara says. So you have to understand what they're saying. So I'll explain it outside. The Pasuk never says daughter. The Pasuk only says granddaughter. There's a Pasuk in Vayikra. We already mentioned Vayikra 1818. How about 1817? It says, that you can't, if you have your wife, so then who are the Arias? Her daughter, right? Your wife's daughter or granddaughter from either, right? The father or the mother. Okay, those are Ervas. And there it says, Sha'ara Hena Zima He. Right? She is, this is, Shara Eina Zimahi is basically saying, you're a degenerate. You cannot do that. That's a depraved thing to do. 
Okay, and uses the word Hena and uses the word Zima. Okay, then it uses the word Hena again. Where? To, uh, a few psukim earlier. Ervas bas bincha, bas bincha, lo tekale, ervasan, kevascha. Hena. Okay, so in that pasuk it says bat bincha or bat bincha, but it doesn't mention bita. It just mentions the granddaughter. Guess what? We said a gezera shava. Just like uh, in the first case, like Isha or Bita is a regular married daughter. But the second case that we quoted, the second Pasuk, is like a daughter out of wedlock. Ah, why does it use a daughter out of wedlock and a daughter out of a regular case of marriage? Ah, that's the Gezeir Shava Hena Hena to teach you that your daughter is usher to you. Okay? How does it teach you that your daughter is usher to you? Because that's how that Gezeir works. It means it doesn't matter how she's your daughter. That's the point. That because it doesn't mention how she became your daughter. So because it doesn't mention how she became your daughter, therefore it's trying to hint at the fact it doesn't matter how your daughter became your daughter, your daughter is always usher to you. That's the hey, that's the heina heina. What's this? Uh, okay. I mean, what is so important about the, you know, dishes, you know? Okay, so we're going to get into this. Very good. We're learning the Seder Nashim, so it's very important to understand the, uh, I'll tell you this. Ishus is very important. These parshas of Arias are read on Yom Kippur, like the holiest day of the year, right? The, the Arias is really separated. Asher, why don't you read? Look at read at the Sheva Brachas that we read at the the Bracha that we say under the Chuppah. That how beautiful it is that the Jewish people have these issues of Arias, and you see, it really sets us apart. Anyway, and the Rambam discussed it at great length. So everything you ask usually goes back to uh, Rambam. I ain't shum. So anyway, to make a long story short, Hena Hena, the Gzair Shav we just said, is how you learn that, you're not, that, uh, that your daughter is an erva. Okay? And then Zima Zima, trust me when I tell you, it says, as Isha Vesima, Zima Hu Be'eshis Rafu. Zima is, because, again, in the first passage I quoted to you, right, Vayikra 18.17, had the word Hena and the word Zima. The word Hena teaches you that your daughter is an erva. The word Zima teaches you that the punishment is being burnt to a crisp, is Shrefa. So that's what the Gezer Shava Hena Hena Zima Zima is. Because the word Hena appears in two different psukim, the word Zima appears in two different psukim, and so it connects it all up. So it says the Gemara. Okay, so if the pattern is by, uh, we're starting with the, right, we're, we're leaving the Darisis for the end, and we're, and we're having all the most darshaned out stuff in the beginning, and that's why the, the Bito is first, so that maybe Achos Isha should be last, since that's the only one, that's what? That's Beferish in the Pasuk. Says the Gemara, no. So you see, this is what happens. Once we're already in a mode, so the, mo- the, the fact that the Bito was, a, Bito was a Drasha, that explains why she was first. Everything else now is going to be in a logical pattern in order to memorize it better. So once we talked about an Isra of an Ach, so then we're going to talk about, right, the relationship of sisters. We're going to talk about the wife's sister. I've listened to the high bubble of the Sof. So let him teach that entire piece last. The entire Achos Isho piece should be last with all of these sisters' relationships because, in, because of the fact that Achos Isho should be last because that's the only one that's in the Pasuk. And it looks like we're doing it in an order of Drusha to like less obvious to most obvious. So the is going to say, okay, you know what? You're right. There's a different explanation. It's not because what's more chamor. And it's not because of what's a bigger drusher. Ella, tana, kurve, kurve, nakat. That's what I would have said. I always tell Rabbi Gross, come to me if you want the balbatish shot. Yeah, Bito's the most obvious one. That's like the easiest case, right? When I put up these puppets, like the daughter is always the case I use because that's the easiest. So it's, it's closeness. What do you mean? So tana, Bito, bas, Bito, bas, bano. 
Yeah, it's closest of your relationship. The daughter is obviously the closest thing, right? So that's dikrove atzmo, right? That's blood daughter. That's blood relationship. Your daughter or granddaughter. So that's why we did it in that order. And then vaidi the tana shlosha doros lamata diday tana nami shlosha doros lamata dida. Right. So once you do three generations descending from the guy, then we're going to do three generations descending from his wife. Once we get three generations down, so you see the pattern? The pattern is simply the way you look at it when you look at the family album. First you look at your daughter, then your granddaughter, then you look at the generations of your wife. It goes by concentric circles around the person who died in terms of family closeness. And that would have, that's what I would have done if I was patterning the Mishnah. So I'm happy to see that that's what they did. And then it makes sense. You go down, you go up in generation, and then then the maternal sister and the mother sister, the Krovayatzma, because it's the two are blood relatives. And then and since then we're talking about right uh, the, the relationship of sisters, so then you mention your wife's sister. Even though, again, from a point of Joshua, that's the only one in the Pasuk. So it's like, it's a piece of, it's a nug, gold nugget, like nestled in there. But it has to do with the Korva, it has to do with concentric circles of closeness. And even though, right, we're going to say, that these three are going to be, the next three are not going to be blood relatives at all, at all. So really, the Kala should go first. Why? Because the Kala is the only one that's an Isra Skila, as we discussed. The other are an Isra Kares. That's what the Gemara is saying here. In other words, because what we get into here is what? And what? These are what? The Right? The daughter-in-law and the wife, whatever, sprints from, from the block, who happens to be that the reason why you can't do Yibum is has nothing to do with the relationship. It has to do with the fact that he predeceased her, right? She's the wife of Right, the kid that wasn't even born when, when Ruben uh, died, those, those, as you might recall from yesterday in the Mishnah, there were different reasons why they weren't eligible for Yibam. But be that as it may, all three of them are grouped together for obvious reasons because they uh, have a different reason why they're not going to be eligible for Yibam. And then once we have those three, really, we should have done the Kala first because she is the Isra Skila, as we've said. However, says the Gemara, since we're doing concentric circles of closeness around the, the deceased, that explains why we first learned the Eishas Achiv first because she is a closer um, blood relative because after all, she was, right, at one point, the wife of the brother that had died, and therefore the Ashes Achiv, the wife of the maternal brother, and therefore, even though she's only in Isra Kares, she's mentioned before the Kala, right? Vahadar Tana Kalasa. And then we mentioned the Kala, who's in the Isra Skila. Okay. So that is the order. Beautiful. How do you like me now, Barry? Now you know why the women are mentioned in this order. Now, 16 lines up from the bottom of Gimel and Aleph, Umai Ayri the Tana Potros. An interesting question. Litni Ostros, Rashi says. Litni Asuros, Davada Yasurusem, Machasha Enan Skukus Liibum. Rashi's reminding us. Anytime that you're not, what? Anytime you don't have a Chi of Yibum, you have what? The Yisur of Bekaimi Be Yisur Eshesach. Whenever there's no Yibum, then by definition it's an Yisur of Eshesach, which we know is Asur. So our Mishnah should say, 15, these 15 women are Asur to you. They're an Erva. And that's why you're Potter from Yibum. Why does it say Potter? It's like, 
It's a weird lashon. So says the Gemara. If you would have just said that these women are Asr, you would say, okay, well, since they're Asr, guess what we're going to do? We're going to do what we do by the Meon of the Isha. We're going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place. The, we, the manual, otherwise known as the Torah, told us that we're supposed to do Yibum, but also told us we're not supposed to marry Eish Sachim. So we're stuck. We don't know which way to turn. So let's do Chalitza. That's if it had just said that the only problem is that she's an Isra to you. Elamai, Kamash Milan. So that's why the Mishnah says, right, that you're Pater from Chalitza and Yibum. That's, and that's the order, in fact. It says, Pater from Chalitza and Yibum. How does our Mishnah start? Chamesh Yisrael Nashim, Potros Tzartzim, Tzartzim, Mina Chalitza, Umina Yibum. Says the Gemara. So that's Kamash Milan, right? So it says the Gemara, Velema Asura Lachlotz. So just say, Asura Lachlotz. Says the Gemara, Mai Kayavid. Well, Asura Lachlotz, is that really true? It's not true. The reason it doesn't say Asura Lachlotz is because it's not really an Isser. Alam alo. Wait a minute. It's not really an Isser, ask the Gemara. Ima to Omer Choletzes, Mitya Bemes. Well, we're stuck. If we said that the, that the Chalitza is Isser, we have two issues. First of all, it's not true. Chalitza is never Asr because uh, well, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt anybody to throw a shoe across the room. Um, but on the other hand, if we say Chalitza is Asr, then the other issue is if you said Chalitza was okay, then you would think that Yibam is also okay. That's the problem. So you're really stuck. You can't just focus on the Chalitza. Says the Gemara, okay. Here's why we say that it's Pater. It says, Keva dimkom mitzvah hudasir atzara. Right? Let's say a regular Yibam. Since it's only in a situation of, right, mitzvah of Yibum, that you have this Isser, but outside of that, right, let's say your daughter, right, not your, Ruvain's, um, Shimon in our case, Shimon's daughter, right, so obviously if she married Ruvain, she's, he's got problems, right, because he can't do Yibum. She marries Ruvain and Ruvain dies childless. But let's say his daughter Shira married outside of the family, right? She, she married... Amari, or whatever his name is now, right? So she married outside of the family. And then he dies childless. So guess what? Shalobim Okam, it's a Sharia, right? Outside of that, what? She is, outside of that, she is permitted. Meaning, Amari isn't the one that died. Let me say that's right, because Amari dies, nobody, no, it doesn't affect the Yibum. In other words, if Shira married Shimon's brother, Shira is Shimon's daughter. If she married Shimon's brother, obviously Yubim becomes problematic if that brother, say, Ruvain, dies. But if she marries, here's the case, if she marries uh, somebody from the outside, Amari, and then Ruvain dies, so then who cares who Shira married? It's irrelevant. So says the Gemara, Mishum Hachi Tani Potros, right? So what it means, it says Potros, guess who explains this really clearly? Tosfos. Look at Tosfos Cave in the second to last one. In other words, if you would have said Asr, then you would have said, then you would have said, then, oh, well, okay, she's Asr, uh, meaning Shimon's daughter is Asr when you, when you have Yibum. And obviously, it's even more Asr. Because the idea is, you're supposed to learn, right. In other words, Potter is a lashon that teaches you that it's potter in the sense that you're potter from the mitzvah of Yibum, and you will understand, as Tosos explains, Mimela, that wherever there is no chiv of Yibum, once you are, as the mission says, potter from the chiv of Yibum, the iser of Eishas Ach kicks in. So it keeps all of those considerations. Therefore, by saying potter min achalitzo mina Yibum, we avoid all misunderstanding. Beautiful. So now nine lines up, 
from the bottom. It says, "My ira detani min achalitza mina yibum litni mina yibum lechudei." Why does it say potter mina? We know why now. You say potter, right? Potter mina yibum. It teaches you everything you need to know, and there's no misunderstanding, right? We know that you're potter from yibum. We know that you have the isra veishasach. But why is it saying mina achalitza mina yibum? So says the Gemara. Yeah, it says because to tell you, it has to say chalitza also because, like we said before, anytime you say you're part from yibum, well, you could at least do chalitza. Nobody gets hurt. Kamash mala, no. To teach you, kola ola leyibum, ola lechalitza, becholsha eina ola leyibum, eina ola lechalitza. That guess what? In a case where the, there is yibum, if yibum can't be done, we'll do chalitza. And in a case where there is no, uh, right, in the case where there is no yibum, we don't just do chalitza for kicks. Whenever there was no yibum that were go- was going to be done, we're not going to do chalitza either. Okay. So Andrew says, what do you mean? There is a case where we do chalitza. The case of miyun, right? The case of, of the marriage durbanan. There we're really, truly stuck. And we have no choice but to do chalitza. So there is, in fact, a case. So, but I'll answer you this. That only strengthens the problem, right? The fact that there is, in fact, a case. So I guess the way to answer Andrew's question is midor raisa, right? Whenever there's a real, whenever there is no actual zika, right? So then there's not going to be chalitza, midor raisa. As a matter of fact, we use the Lushan and we're going to see it soon. The, the zika is ki'ilu, right? It's ki'ilu. And that Zika is Darabanan, as Rashi uses the word Zika Darabanan, is, is in fact, as Andrew points out, the one case where we will always only do Chalitza. That's true. But we want to teach you the Midar Raisa, right? When there is no Yibum, there is no Chalitza either. But then another question, Andrew. We're listening to Mina Yibum and Mina Chalitza. Why are we saying Mina Chalitza and Mina Yibum? Isn't that weird? Should we say Mina Yibum and Mina Chalitza? Isn't the Iker Takana, the Iker, I should say, uh, Right, directive from the Torah. Isn't it Yibum? Why are we talking about Chalitza first? So that Lashon, Torah saying, Patros mina Chalitza umina Yibum. Says the Gemara, why are we doing Chalitza and then Yibum, not Yibum mina Chalitza? Uh, so you say, Inami mina Chalitza l'chudei. Or by the way, you could have just said Chalitza and you would have learned Yibum from that. Obviously, if you can't do Chalitza, you can't do Yibum. So that's Abashal. Abashal he damer mitzvah Chalitza kodemis lemitzvah Yibum. That's Rashi. Over here, mitzvahs abashol perakacholitz. You wait till lamates. Abashol says, if you akonis yivimto l'shum noy l'shum ishus kilu pogea be'erva v'akor be'enai lios avlad mamzer. Wow, a lot to unpack there. He doesn't want. He prefers chalitza. Is the point? It's to teach you. Our mission is already referring to abashol and lamates to teach you that chalitza is preferred bizman in in those days to yibum in order to avoid. Um, yibum with the wrong intentions. Okay, fine. So now we've om- we finished pretty much the cheshbonos. Now the only question is minyana duration l'mutemai or minyana de seifa l'mutemai. If you look at the Mishnah, it says chamesh esreti at the beginning, right? Chamesh esreti nashim, and then at the end of the Mishnah it says right elu, uh, right? We call harayas elu. So what are these? What are these alluding to? We always have in Bavli that it's alluding to this specific right count is alluding to a certain thing. So what is it? As Rashi says, We're going to get into the Sota and the Islandists tomorrow. Having gone through and climbed the mountain, having gone to Gimel Amid Beis, Baruch Hashem, tomorrow, Bezos Hashem, we have smooth sailing with Gimel Amid Beis and Daftalid, 
right? We got through a very, very hard course, and now we have the blood in our legs, and we're ready for the long stretch. We're not going to need uh, these puppets for tomorrow. Tomorrow we will discuss the fascinating concept that is embedded in the concept of Yibum, which is the idea of Asei Doche Lotase. Oh, teaser. Stay tuned. Bezat Hashem till tomorrow.